What's up, what's up, mi gente? You are now listening to Loose Accents, an immigrant podcast for the press and unbothered. Loose Accents brings you to light our immigrant stories from the East to the West Coast, black and brown. Aquí lo soltamos todo. We are here to celebrate the looseness of our tongues, our identities, and the love for our communities, no matter where we are in the hood, baby. Ha! I am Danjeli. And I am Andaki Bay. And today we are blessed to have with us in the studio one of the best, uh-huh. baddest That's organizadoras right. from any coast, a freedom fighter, co-executive director, and let's see if I get this right let's after six years. Mm-hmm. New York State Youth Leadership. Council. <laughs> you got it. A storyteller in her own right, the one and only Angie Rivera. <laughs> okay. The person who saw me come out as undocumented for the first time and has been with me through this journey since I was like a baby organizer mm-hmm. until like now living in LA. And can I say, like, I first fangirl for Angie after I saw the award winning Peabody documentary. No le digas a nadie, or as it's also known in the English world, y'all. Don't tell anyone. Angie, we are so excited to have you at the studio, baby. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for flying me out. Uh, Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, keep telling people that. We flew you out, baby. So we got flying out budget. (laughs) How how, how have they been treating you? What have you been up to? Okay. So New York City is really cold right now. So <laughs> I've been to the, the beach. <laughs> I've been in the sun. I brought all my summer clothes. I brought dresses, shorts, flip flops. Like I'm ready. You are living your LA I'm living. fantasy. I went to Malibu like a white girl yesterday. I'm Ooh. ready. I'm if you were like to come back, well, in, in November, right? You're gonna see people in coats in like seventy degree weather. No, they're ridiculous. <laughs> okay, first of all, <laughs> it's cold. Oh Lord. <laughs> and they just like they just really like in bubble coats. And <laughs> no. and then they'll be on bubble like on bubble coats with Shorts, like short sweatpants and, <laughs> and then chanclas. I'm like, what are y'all doing? Like y'all <laughs> And they just like trying to rep like full aesthetics. I'm yeah, like, Y'all yeah. don't need that scarf. Y'all are hot. Like yeah. y'all don't need that. You know what? Let us live the fact that we can get maybe three cold days. And when I say cold, under 70 degrees. Baby, you were in Portland, and I feel like you took the entire closet that I you did. had I did. with fall clothes or jackets. I did. You took it to Portland just so that you could take pics. Okay, first of all, yes. And one, there was this one coat that I've never worn that I took <laughs> it, This is what I'm talking about. One of the most liked pictures, baby. I'm you know done. what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what? But anyway. Anyway, <laughs> this isn't about you or me. This is about Angie. <laughs> so Angie. Okay. I've known you for a while. Yes. Mostly Instagram friends. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the same college. Yes. Right. John Jay, what's up? Even though we had I completely mean, to- <laughs> JJ. Why are you giving them free promo, John Jay? <laughs> Angie doesn't claim John Jay, I y'all. Okay. I, at all. Listen. And okay. then there's me. I'm like, I love my school. I have a little Hell. story. I have a little story. So when I saw your documentary, there was one point where they sort of do a whole, like, look at, my, I don't school. know, part of the campus. I took a screenshot yeah. of this homegirl, yeah. and I was like, D'Angeli. Is this you? She was, was like, I'm done just because this homegirl has big hair. Yeah. It was it was like it was this girl she was walking because she was like wearing like a huge bag. A big bag. It it did lo- it low key looked like my hair. Low like, key, I was, it was her. I was definitely like 
you know, with a huge bag in college. But <laughs> I was like, no, that's not me. Anyway. It could have been, It could have been. It could have yeah. been. It low-key yeah. could have been. But a lot of people look like me in New York, so I'm not surprised. Mm. Mm. So for those who don't know you, right, and we ask this for all of our guests, who you be? Yeah. Um. So I be... Um, Colombian, I'm an immigrant, I'm queer, I'm a woman, I'm an older sister of four, um, I'm a daughter, and those are really important to me, so yeah, that's okay. who I be. That's who awesome. you be. And um, when we first started uh, and we introduced uh, folks to you, uh, we said that you are a storyteller, because that's kind of how I see you. Um, I consider myself a storyteller, and so when I've seen your work, uh, everything that you share, that you advocate for, comes with a story. Mm. Uh, and probably the most important thing that we just saw coming um, for and about you was this amazing documentary yeah. that's called No Le Digas A Nadie. So how did that story come to be? Yeah. Um so, No Le Digas a Nadie, um, funny enough, was supposed to be a, like a five-minute YouTube clip. Mm -hmm. So, the director reached out to me in 2012 when DACA was being implemented. And um, she thought, well, both of us thought I was going to be applying to DACA. And we were going to make like a five-minute clip about Ask Angie, this blog that I had started for Undocumented Folks. I remember that. And mm -hmm. we were supposed to just do like a five minute thing for YouTube about organizing in New York. Yeah. Um, and then in the process of filming that, um, she met my family. She met my friends. She came to rallies with us. I found out I could adjust. And we ended up filming for two and a half years instead. Mm. Um, and just made a documentary kind of by accident, really, um, which was really important to me to share because um i think oftentimes like media folks come into undocumented people's mm -hmm. lives yes. and are like i want to tell this story and can you just share this and share this about yourself and she was just like i just want to film and that's what came out um so yeah two and a half years and it came out on pbs in 2015 mm -hmm. um and it ended up being a story about me my family about being undocumented about being a survivor of assault of my family and my journey to citizenship in a weird hmm. way um and a lot of almost well i guess the whole thing is just raw because nothing was scripted and we didn't have an agenda for this documentary so it ended up being very real of what was happening with me at that time and it's interesting because as as all of these things are happening uh, in your world like here's baby D'Angeli also like circumnavigating her life around yeah. organizing. Wait, when, when, what year did you start recording? Uh, 2012. So, wow. Okay. So, yeah. So 2012, you were still in college. Yes. So when did the story come out about you selling bracelets? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it might have come out. Oh, maybe a little bit earlier than that or around that time. Okay. Yeah. So I started college in 2011 and I remember seeing the news. I wasn't out. And the only person that knew at that time that I was undocumented was like my high school teacher. She was Dominican biology teacher. And I just broke down and told her like, yeah, like I don't have papers. Um, and there wasn't much she could do. Like she was an experience. And then the other person was like my guidance counselor who was like, well, you can try going back to your country and coming back. Mm, no. Fucking bullshit. So 
I entered college kind of like keeping that to myself because like what my guidance counselor told me was very, very traumatic. So I came into John Jay for 2011. You were st- you were already there. Yes. Mm. Um, and I remember seeing the story about this girl um, who was selling bracelets on the train to like raise money for tuition. Mm. And then I was still like in the shadows, quote unquote, God, I, this language seems so old now. Baby, you are. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, in regards to, like, the movement, like, in the shadows, coming out of the (laughs) shadows. Um, And I remember seeing that story and being like, like, oh, shit, like, there's other, like, undocumented people. Because at the time, I just thought it was me. Like, no Mm. one around me was undocumented. Um, And then, like, I came out the the following year. And then four months later, well, I came out to my professor, Dr. Martinez, who Mm. you know. And then the following year... Well, like four months later after I came out to Dr. Martinez, I was walking around in Union Square <laughs> and I was actually just shopping. Like I went to the the strawberry that was there. Wow. <laughs> What's strawberry? Strawberry is a store. Is it it's like, like they sold fruit. It's like no strawberry <laughs> is like a store that you like something you would find in the alleys. Alleys is like Fordham here or like Jackson Heights. Oh, okay, it's like okay. all those like small shops. OK, so there was one in, in Union Square and I was just shopping and then I see this like rally protest going on in Union Square. And for those who don't know New York, Union Square is like usually where all the protests happen, like May Day and, mm-hmm. you know, just like, you know, ev- ev- everything that you can think of happens there. So I was passing by and I see like just these people wearing like undocumented, un- what is it, un- undocumented, unafraid, unafraid unapologetic mm-hmm. T-shirts. And I was like, oh, my God, like there's like undocumented people. <laughs> so I was like, I was like kind of like in awe. I went to go get like to go shop and then I came back to look. I was just, you know, when you just like want to be there. Um, and then I was there with like my cousin's like boyfriend. We were shopping together for I think the baby or something, their baby. And I saw like anti-immigrant protesters there. And then I saw Lupe with the with the notepad. Mm. Um, and I was like, I'm just going to sign up. Folks were sharing their stories whatever and i was like i'm just gonna sign up like i'm i'm just gonna do it like i'm mad like there's like anti-immigrant folks here i'm just gonna go ahead and i signed up and i share i came out and documented like publicly for the first time in front of angie (laughs) and angie still has a photo of it yeah i was like a baby i was 18 so was that the first time that you met each other so you had known about i had known about her but i've never like i would see her around campus and i would like fangirl but angie just had a serious ass face all the time oh my god all the time so i was just like i can't i can't go i'm dead you know what's funny we were actually connected on email you were an intern Yes, um, from uh, uh, the Dream Coalition. The yeah, yes, mm. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, some people were being like, "Oh, John Jay, folks, like here's an email." Yeah. Connect. So here is, you have pushed yourself, pushed your story out into the world, and said, "Here's who I am. Here's what I need in order to survive, and I'm gonna do something about it." And there's a film crew following you around, doing a documentary about yeah. it, and then you are sort of coming into this world as well, right? Yeah I, was, yeah, I wasn't even an organizer. I was just in the shadows at the time. And then I had read Ask Angie on the internet. Yeah, I had like read, because I didn't know anything about like anything. Well, what? let's stop there. So we don't know anything. Let's pretend about Ask Angie. Tell yeah. us about Ask Angie. What is that? Oh my that? God, I feel old. Okay. <laughs> yes, So please. I got involved in the immigrant rights movement 
feminist movement. In 2009, I was a high school senior. Uh-huh. And I was at the New York State Youth Leadership Council, just being an intern, doing my hours and stuff. And um, I was asked, you know, if um, is there something that you feel is missing that you want to bring to this organization? And at the time, I didn't feel like there was a lot of online presence of undocumented folks or like mm. spaces that undocumented people could ask questions, could get support, could like seek out answers without having to be outed or you could be anonymous. Right. And so I kept thinking like, oh, you know, it'd be really cool if we had like an um, advice column. Mm-hmm. And then Ask Angie was born out of like that feeling of needing a space for folks to ask questions anonymously. Um, and so I did the Ask Angie blog for many years. And this was, you know, before DACA was implemented. Yeah, right. way before This DACA. was like before we started getting like Facebook DACA mm-hmm. groups and Twitter threads with undocumented folks yep. and like memes on Instagram. And so at the time, I would get a lot of questions from people who were just like living their lives because DACA wasn't a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So folks were just like, I there's one question that stuck like will always stick with me. It was this young undocumented woman who wanted to be a parent. And she was just like asking me, Am I selfish for wanting to raise a family in the event that I could get deported? Wow. And what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And like what do you think? And I'm out here I'm like eighteen, nineteen, <laughs> I'm like, kids, like I don't know. <laughs> you right. know, and and you know, there's questions about like marriage equality wasn't a thing yet and there was like queer couples that wanted to get married and they were like undocumented citizen and what does this mean and and yeah it was a lot of questions about just living undocumented um and then daca got implemented and my questions became very legal and i felt like daca had become mainstream and undocumented mm-hmm. folks had become mainstream and i don't think the space needed to exist the same way that it did in 2009 right um so i haven't blogged for like ask angie in a minute like answering questions or anything yeah. like that. So here, so I, I, I'm trying to sort of piece all of these narratives together because I think like the idea of having narratives of undocumented folks in the East Coast and on the West Coast. Here I am, 2009, Ernesto, uh, leaving UCLA. So uh, 2008, 2009 is when I left school because at that point I found that the university was not actually revoked and took back a scholarship that they had given me. Mm. So I was working three jobs, uh, still no DACA, no California Dream Act, no Dream Act, nothing. The only thing we had at that point was resident tuition, so we could pay resident tuition. Um, So I left uh, UCLA in 2009 when I saw all of my other um, folks that went into school at that time, like graduated. So I remember going back 2009, seeing all of my homies on stage graduating. And here it was, suited and booted, looking nice, because deep down inside, like I felt such a, a huge level of shame, of sadness, really, that I couldn't finish. Uh, and there's one picture of, of, of a, that a friend took of the whole row of us sitting down, um, of friends and family members like looking on, and I just looked so sad. Because mm. I was like, damn. Th- this is this is our world like we we have to deal with this sort of by ourselves without having to tell po- like people that um that we need help that we need support and at that time like yeah. i was out if you will as undocumented but never in in a way that yeah that i was like you know this is stupid like someone needs to help yeah type of thing. and i think that idea of like asking for help or demanding that mm-hmm. things are different is 
such looked down upon and especially when you're undocumented i know folks in your community and your family are always like oh you gotta just stay quiet right. you're like, yeah just so go about your business like yep. just work why are you bringing all this attention to yourself yeah so for me um i mean when i went to john jay they sent me that letter i still have it i kept it i purposely kept it they sent me a letter when i got accepted and i had accepted the offer um that said it your your status is uh, marked as undocumented. You need to come into the office to show proof of documentation. Um, and I came in and because they, they were charging me like out of state tuition, mm. and I'm like, what the fuck? It was the first time that I googled like out of state tuition ever. Yeah. I was 16, mm-hmm. by the way, um, and I saw that like New York State like has like the ability to like provide in state tuition, and I went into John Jay and I was like. I graduated from high school. How does it make sense that like I don't I have out of state tuition when I graduated from high school here in New York? Um, so I remember the the guy at the I'm not even gonna say names. I remember all their names because I'm petty. <laughs> but at the at the at the office, the guy was like, "Well, you need to fix your papers as soon as you can." In my head, I'm like, wow. "Bitch, if I could, right? <laughs> We're just I'm not out here undocumented for fun. Just for fun." <laughs> Um, but I remember like by then you were already writing about that. Um, so I, I, that was like the first, like, I guess, awakening that of of what being undocumented truly meant. I Mm. didn't know. I I mean, I knew that I was undocumented. I didn't know what it would mean for the rest of my life. Right. So I started looking up like just undocumented students, you know, and I found Ask Angie and I would like go through it and just like read like just like trying to stay informed so i knew about you in advance and i would see you on campus and i'm like oh my god that's her <laughs> i didn't <laughs> know like, that oh yeah i was like oh my god that's her um and then i came out undocumented and you were you were there i, I think it just it's just full circle because mm-hmm. I, I mean i still remember like i don't remember you there but i remember uh lupe because she was the one that like handed me the clipboard for yeah. me to like sign. So what is wh- what is this this idea? Because th- I actually have a version of this like coming out as undocumented piece. Yeah. Um, in my experience, so what what wh- where is this idea that like you have to come out as undocumented? Where did that come for for you, Angie? Um. So I was part of the youth leadership council when the idea of coming out of the shadows was born. Mm. Uh, we were at a national convening and undocu queer youth from Chicago, shout out to the Immigrant Youth Justice League who mm-hmm. created or pushed for this idea of coming out of the shadows because they had already come out of the closet, right? And this idea of coming out. Um, and they had challenged us to create coming out of the shadows events in mm. our cities um, in front of, the immigration building, basically. And this was March 2010. Mm. Um, and so we went back to New York City, and we were like, okay, we're going to put together a coming out of the shadows thing, and we did that. And it was ma. It was like 10 people that came. Um, we didn't have enough people to share, so we had to share like three times to take up the permit, you know, to speak at, at a rally. Um, yeah, but that's that's how that idea was born. It was born out of Undaki Queer Youth from Chicago. Because it's interesting. Um, I, I like hearing these stories because, you know, I started college in 2005. So in 2005, 2006, we go. Mm. 
I can still do it. My old ass. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm here just uh, <laughs> counting, doing Anyways. the math. You know that meme with right. all the like the math equation. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> so when I started, um, there was there was a very active group of undocumented folks at UCLA, and so we they I I had them like I saw them do the same things, but what they would do is that they would go in their in our gowns, right? In yeah. our in our graduation gowns. And I remember seeing that and very very much like you, Danjeli, seeing these these folks coming from the out outside, right? from the outside. Like I was like, nah, I'm cool. I'm not yeah. trying to do that. Yeah. But one day I was just fed up. I'm yeah. like, fuck Same. this shit. Like this yeah. is crazy. Yeah. So I look, I'm actually I pulled up a picture. Uh, and, and I actually want to share this picture. I think it would be really cool. Yeah, Angeli I'm going to share my share. coming out picture, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I remember doing a speech um, on campus with my full uh, like graduation gown with all of the medals that I had. Mm. And I spoke and I said that I was undocumented. I grabbed all of my medals and I threw them in the trash. Wow. Like in front of people as an act of saying, well, what's the whole point? What's the whole point? Yeah. Here I am like busting my ass traveling from long beach to ucla which is a, almost like a three-hour ride on the buses and the and, and trains and 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 this is not even acknowledged like i don't think that this is the way that it should be for people yeah so um when you're talking about this of like coming out i'm like i i had my moment but i never sat down to say oh this is my coming out i just felt like i just needed to do this to survive yeah, yeah same yeah. same right? same for me it was it was uh, it was at that rally just you just get tired and you know one thing that when when i was finally coming into like the the immigrant rights movement right something that i that i always talk about is that i started looking for scholarships right yes girl and most of them at the time mm-hmm. it was before daca right my mom was busting her ass we were all busting our asses to try to pay for my tuition and it, at the time i was just like scrolling through like pages and pages and pages of of of, of scholarships mm-hmm. and all of them yep all of them required you to be a resident in california and I remember crying my ass off. Mm-hmm. Like, what about New York? Like, there's so many immigrants here. And me, like, telling my mom, like, this is not fair. Like, why can't we just move there? Mm-hmm. Um, because all of them was, like, the valley. If you have families that are, like, um, in, in like, that work in, I don't even know how. Agricultural yeah, like workers. Yeah, agricultural Yes, workers. agriculture, exactly. Right. Like, a lot of the, you know, if you go to, like, a certain school and it will be, like, a UC. Like, stuff right. like that. So, I was, like, in New York frustrated just frustrated and then the first one that i was able to like get was like uh the the dream uh, coalition no the dream Sco- scholarship for uh new york coalition your immigrants coalition mm. wow i'm forgetting all these organizations that's how <laughs> they're gonna come after the game. you yeah they are drag her um, drag her that was the first one and basically <laughs> it was the scholarship mm. that allowed you to that, that basically taught you how to become an organizer and how to get involved mm-hmm. um so I mean, Danu, who's like now like a uh, dope ass DJ. DJ, yeah. Um, and actually did Arrebato. Hello. Yep. And has a podcast. Yeah. Come through. Um, Her brown babies. people mix is so Yep. Good. Yep. So Danu was the one that was like started teaching me how to like do media, how to share my story. And then a few months later, I shared my story for the first time um, in front of Angie. So it's just like all these stories mm-hmm. kind of coming together, right? And something that I want to ask you, Angie, because you've been in the immigration movement for a long time, right? How have you seen that the narratives are different from like West Coast um, 
the west coast immigrant rights movement versus like east coast immigrant rights movement is there a difference have you noticed like difference in stories and storytelling and organizing oh that's a good question so um i think uh one narrative that i often feel like i have no idea where i fit in is the one that is like the border cross me narrative mm. Because I'm like, okay, Colombia is like South America. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm like, okay, we got a border with Panama. I was like, I don't know. Um, and so I, I see, um, I think maybe like I saw that a lot in California, like a lot of mm. like the border crossed me and like this used to be Mexico land and all that stuff, which is valid, right? Um, and then New York City, I think there's there's so many immigrant folks there's so many immigrant organizations there's so many different narratives there's like organizing in brooklyn for like haitian migrants mm -hmm. yeah. and then yeah. there's like organizing in the bronx for mexican and dominican puerto rican folks and there's like so many different organizations so many different people so many different stories um um but the you know the immigrant rights movement is so complicated and it's so mm -hmm. diverse um i wonder I, I don't know. I feel like California needs a little bit of that, like, mm -hmm. South American, Central American, Caribbean spice because, you know, it, it's lacking sometimes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, something that I struggled with when I was undocumented was that I, I, I kept seeing these stories about, like, crossing the border, and most of them were com coming from California. Mm. And many of the, of the immigrant kids that I saw on TV sharing their stories did not look like me like mm -hmm. they were not dominican no one talks about like dominicans taking a boat to puerto rico mm. and then getting their hands on a puerto rican passport or u.s passport i guess to like come to new york no one talks about like the people that died in the ocean you know hundreds and thousands of people dying in the ocean trying to like cross to u.s common commonwealth right quote unquote so I like I I feel like that's why it took me even longer to come out as undocumented because yeah. I'm like what am I gonna say like that I came to the U S with like a fake identity like that's not you know that's different from crossing the border that's a yeah. crime and no one was there to be like actually like that's valid like there are other people who are entering the same way that you are yeah um so I struggle with that a lot and and even here like I try to challenge those narratives and you've seen it in so yeah. even when we did our keynote at UCLA I was just like this is where I'm from and this is how I came. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, cause I think for, for me, <clears throat> obviously growing up here in California, like that was the main, the main narrative. It's like, you know, folks either walk here, cross here, they, they come here. And I'd like to check to tell people that like, and, and a lot of the times that I share my story, I tell people that I just walked, I walked to the U S just like I went on a really long camping trip. Um, but, I, I never sat down to think yeah. of the multitude of, of, of other migration stories that are out there because, you know, the one that I knew the best was my family, For was sure. like me seeing my brothers, you know, coming here, seeing my mom and, and, and what we experienced. But there was one thing that was very, very close to uh, to what you said um, earlier and even in your in your documentary was no le digas a nadie. So my mom, the yeah. idea of as soon as you get here, you shut your mouth and you don't say a single yeah, word definitely. to anyone. No le digas a nadie. Just don't tell anyone was was something that of of all of the years that I've seen and done activism is one of the things that stands true, which is you keep it shut. You don't 
open your mouth because mm-hmm. bad things will happen to you. And that's regardless of what country you're coming from and Anywhere. how you entered. It's like that's like the immigrant like root of like that's like the root of like um navigating the US as an immigrant. It's like as an undocumented immigrant, it's like you can't tell anyone. Right. So Angie, so beyond the idea that you're not supposed to open your, your mouth and no le digas a nadie because you talk about it in the documentary, like and, and the idea of survival. Was there something else that pushed you to say, like, nah, not only am I gonna speak for myself, but I'm going to now advocate for yeah. thousands of others. Yeah. I remember for me when I was younger, um, well, I was raised in that fear, right? That you can't trust anybody, you can't tell anybody anything. Um, and you know, that messes with you, like who mm-hmm. you can trust, how you can build friends, how you can build relationships, how you can find a lover, find a lover, like all that shit, right? And I think for me, like being raised in that fear, um, I used to feel like, okay, if I'm going to be afraid, even if I tell people these things about me, and even if I don't, right? Because if you don't share anything, you still live in fear of deportation, you still... Right live in fear of, of being outed of all these things um and i i felt like okay if i'm gonna be scared either way then i might as well organize like if right and despite being afraid and despite being like alone and scared and all these things then i might as well do something about it despite this fear right and i think that's what would help me like or push me to get involved because i'm like well i'm gonna be afraid either way so i might as well do something right and and what did you start discovering um, about yourself when you started to do something what did you discover about yourself um it helped me take control of aspects of my life mm. um i think the biggest part of being having been undocumented is that level of uncertainty of out of controlness that it feels like i depend on new laws i depend on new presidents yeah. i depend on a new governor to like change legislation and it and organizing helped me feel more in control of myself, more in control of my story. And it brought me closer to community that I didn't necessarily have. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up undocumented and quiet about it, you know, it it's hard to feel like you have other people to share it with. So organizing definitely brings people to you and it brings you closer mm-hmm. to people. Right. Something that happened for me when I came out as undocumented and then started organizing within like my alma mater um, <laughs> Angie's are giving me Roll a look. My eyes. Uh, Rolling my don't, eyes. Don't Angie is fed up. We have completely different experiences so different. with a, with Gen- our alma feels matter. So welcome. Uh, shut <laughs> up. Poster child. You know what? Low key though. Low I was. Key. <laughs> I was out here. I was out tea. here all over. Oh, you know what? <laughs> I, I think back about the. I'm like, I was so silly. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Your um, shit, your shit, and John Jay yeah. threw me off. Oh my god! Um, no, oh yeah. So, <laughs> so um, when I was in John Jay, uh, something that um I found when I when I began organizing within the school was that I found a family. Yeah, it was almost like I would leave home and then I would I would come to John Jay, and it was like other folks, right? It was undocumented folks that really like understood me. We were hanging out all day, every day. Um, did you feel that after you came out and um, began organizing? I did. I didn't necessarily feel it in college, but I did find that in community mm. organizing spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, in social media, I found it in yeah, in community folks. Um, 
yeah i met like other undocumented colombians and i was mm. like what yeah Hello. yeah because i mean you know there's this huge uh, stereotype that you know um the only colombians that i've ever really met were people who like came on visas mm-hmm. and had like good lives in colombia yeah degrees and, my, and yeah money. they had degrees and they were like white colombians yes. and all this stuff you know and i'm you know um Medellin, like what's up <laughs> Bogota <laughs> folks are like, <laughs> they're going to unsubscribe. <laughs> no, but like, and we were petitioning like the Consul de Colombia to even have a scholarship for Colombian undocumented immigrants. Mm-hmm. And at the time, he was just like, oh, like, that's not really a priority, you know? So it was mm-hmm. always this like, you know, I- isolation. And um, so it, yeah, it definitely like brought me closer to folks who were living the same things as me. And since now that you've been on this journey, right, here you are, documentary. (laughs) Um, How has your life changed since that girl that was 17, 18, 19 and came out as undocumented and was out here making videos on YouTube? (laughs) (laughs) Don't direct Um, people. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're going to have a stream of people Googling you. Um, But... Right now, in at, at this point in your life, right, how has the documentary impacted your life? Yeah. Um. So the documentary comes out in 2015. I'm at that point. I'm 25 years old. Um. And it's been all kinds of crazy. Like, mm, well, yeah. crazy. It's been all kinds of wild and messy. Um. The documentary is up for screenings in schools and community centers for free through PBS. Um, and so the story has been shared wildly with so many people, both good and bad, right? Mm. I got great reviews, got really bad stuff. Um, we won a Peabody Award, which I like to say is the same award that Lemonade won, Beyonce's mm. Lemonade. Mm. So Hello. Hello. Listen where, to you it, know, Netflix. I'm going to get my ego Beyonce, what's soon. up? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I've met, like, 14-year-olds in Georgia who are, like, against, like, immigrants and pro-deportation and then saw the documentary and were, like, I want to talk more about this because maybe my parents are wrong. Mm. And then I've met, like, other survivors of assault who are, like, 60 years old and were, like, oh, my God, I Mm. never thought that I could talk about this. I never thought, like, your story, you're just in your Mm -hmm. 20s, would impact me so much. Um, yeah, so it's been great. We won an award. We've had screenings since 2015. It's been in film festivals. I've gotten hate. I've gotten love. Um, and the film is still doing its rounds. I thought, you know, it would have been a little bit outdated. Mm -hmm. It was also filmed under the Obama administration. So I figured, you know, folks would want something a little bit different, but people still request it. So that's pretty awesome. And that actually, I wanted to ask you about that because it's interesting that it's 2015. It was still under the Obama administration, and, and it would take years for the subject matter of the film to change drastically mm-hmm. to what we're currently living in. So here we are, 2016, brand new president, totally new administration, and 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 laws change. Um, what happened to you now as the subject of this film coming fully, you know, full frontal, if you will, like just all in? Did you receive more backlash, more hate, more aversion? What? Yeah. Um. I don't know. I think uh, it's been a little bit of both. I think people 
um, still want to continue the challenge, like the mm-hmm. anti-immigrant rhetoric, and they still want to use the documentary as like a teaching tool for that, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, it's still emotionally draining for me. Um, I try not to rewatch the documentary yeah. every screening that mm-hmm. we have. Um, and then I know also like my political awareness has changed so much right. since mm-hmm. I was in my early 20s. Yeah. Um, you know, I was out here being like the, a dreamer. You know, I was out here being like, I came here to get a good education. Mm-hmm. I'm not a criminal. Yeah. Blah, blah, like yep. racism, racism, right? Um, and so much of what I think is justice has changed. Like when I first started sharing my story, I, I remember there was a, an idea for me that like if anti-immigrant folks just heard this story, maybe they would care. Right. And I don't have the patience for that anymore. I don't have the, the energy or the strength for that anymore. Um, and then I know in the documentary, there was also a lot of call for folks to come out. And now I'm like, you don't have to if you don't want to. And mm-hmm. at the time, you know, I, I used to feel like that. I don't know anymore. So I yeah. know a lot, of, a lot of me has changed. Yeah. It w- th- well, when I watched the documentary uh, maybe four or five months ago, one of the things that sort of captivated me was uh, you know, seeing you as a as a younger woman and identifying my younger undocumented story in that, it for example, in the idea of no le digas a nadie, that was my mom. You know, in the idea of like coming out, I'm like I did that, uh, and the idea of like you selling your bracelets and doing a on fu- your own fundraiser to to make it through school, like yo, I did that. I mean, I didn't sell bracelets, but I remember I have a story. One of the things that I say is that I, I would go around with the mayonnaise uh, jar and I placed a, a sign on the side that said, help Ernesto stay in college fund. And I would go to every single one of my classes to like get money. And I would particularly do it around the time that folks would get you know their checks from financial aid. And I was like, look, Lorraine, don't, don't mess with me, girl. Like, so people would donate. And, yeah. and I still have those receipts of like 2008, like the messages that I would send to people so seeing that documentary sort of brought me back to to those years, but things have changed so much. Yeah, you know something. So much. Something that I get um, from the documentary that I Loki love, like whenever I watch it, I smirk because I see myself in it. Is your mom? Oh no! Yeah. Because your mom is kind of like you're basically taking her on a journey that like she's growing into, right? I feel like your mom has evolved a lot too, though. Yeah. I feel like she's more open. I see her more like out and about. Yeah. But at the time, I remember the documentary, like, like the communication there, like between you and your mom, and like the struggle of like even just saying I love you or you know. Mm-hmm. And I see that in my mom a lot because even when I was organizing and I was out here and I would go to rallies and protests, I feel like she wanted to say it. Oh, I'm about to get mad at me. No. I feel like she wanted to say, like, I'm so proud of you, but she couldn't. Yeah. So I see that a lot now. And when I see the documentary, um, it just reminds me of that, like the mm-hmm. complexities of our parents. Yeah. yeah. And like we basically even when we come out, we take them on this ride. Yeah. That sometimes they don't even ask for. Right. Yeah. So every mm-hmm. time I'm talking about no ligas a nadie, I think about that. And I think yeah. it's like at one point that you're like talking to her and she's just like <laughs> a serious face. Okay. That point. <laughs> you know what's funny? I was okay. I'm gonna flex real quick. I was on the front page of the New York Times, mm-hmm. right? Okay. All these white folks in my life are like, girl, oh my God, you made it. New York Times, <laughs> this is it. And my mom is just like 
<laughs> what is this? Yeah, like, okay, the New York Times, okay. And I'm here, like, everyone is telling me, like, this is amazing, right? And she's just like, okay, like, let's go get a copy then. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm asking her, like, aren't you proud of me? Mm. And my mom is just like, like, nothing. Mm-hmm. Maybe inside is something, right? Yeah. But it's that from the outside vocalizing it to get out is really hard. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of um, immigrant parents spend so much time kind of like staying low, not saying much, um, kind of like their way that they show love is by hustling and, mm-hmm. you know, pulling the family, like pushing like the family forward that they don't develop. The, they're too busy surviving to develop the tool. Yeah. Of and then here we come, like, tell me you love me. Yeah. Tell me you're proud. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, look at all these things that I'm doing for your approval, for America's mm-hmm. approval. Right. Can you just say it? Right. Yeah. I, I, I talk a lot about that in 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 my stories whenever I do my performances because I, I, I my mom is always the like my muse, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I always start with either her telling me a lesson, telling me a story, telling me something. And, you know, the thing of like, no le digas a nadie, that was her. When we first came to the country, that was the first thing she said to me. When I would leave to go to school, she would say, no le digas a nadie. Like, don't tell anyone. And little by little, I started understanding Mm -hmm. that her love for me was so strong that she was willing to silence me to Mm. keep me safe. Like, no parent wants that for their kid. They they, they would want them to to speak and to move and to live and to enjoy their lives. But my mom would say this every single day. And so the idea that it seeped so deeply into her yeah. uh, to, to silence, you know, their kids. Um, it's a matter of survival. Yeah. It's almost like inst- it becomes instinct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A- and here's the thing. Like, I started to resent her. Mm-hmm. I started to resent her in college because I was like, if you would have only allowed me to say or do something, share my story, tell the story of my folks, things would have been different. And I learned that it, that, that would have never been the case. Um, but what I did learn is that I could make a choice. Yeah. That my mom taught me something. She taught me the best lesson that she knew at that time to keep me mm-hmm. safe. And then later I had the choice to say, well, what if I try something different? Mm-hmm. What if I tell people my story, our story, how we got here, and I ask permission of you. And if you say don't share certain pieces, I could still change that because it's my story mom yeah and i i found that there was a lot of healing in my understanding that i owned that experience and that i could still keep my mom there with me yeah um by saying i i don't think i want to listen to that lesson anymore i choose something else yeah and i call that i i I call that um a personal revolution um, this idea that you can shift because once you make that first decision, that that first kind of like movement towards something different from what you've been taught, it's like it's like a, a, a it's like a domino effect. Suddenly you're you're not only speaking about your um, about your migration story or your undocumented status. You're also like having conversations about race. Mm. Then you're also having conversations about like sexism. So you start learning how to speak out against so many different things that have been passed down through generations. Right. So for me, it was like coming out as a document and being vocal about it was the first step towards like 
having these difficult conversations outside and then bringing them back to my family. So it was like a healing moment yeah. also. Right. Yeah. And because I think for, for a moment you're feeling like maybe my parents were wrong. Mm hmm. Yep. And maybe they're wrong about other things. Yes. Like mm -hmm. the anti-blackness growing up or this or this mm -hmm. growing up. And if you can challenge laws in the United States of America, why can't I challenge my parents? About yes. At this home. One thing? Yes. A and, and, and you know what? That to me was I always tell people that I came out as undocumented before I came out as gay queer and 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 that to me felt like so much less right like fighting this discriminatory like legal system that said that i was supposed to stay in one place um and and not do the rest but it was like it helped me to get to the point where we'd be like yeah mom i like guys too you know <laughs> yeah. like it was it was yeah. that kind yeah. of level like it, it it sort of meant layers for me yeah. to to sort of have open conversations and yeah. say like you know what i don't think you should be talking about Jotos that way. Like now I can talk about Jotos in a totally different way and I love it and I can own that way. But at that point I wasn't ready. Yeah. I wasn't ready to come out to my mom like yeah. or my family about it. That's real. Definitely. So now, Andrew, right? Um, I mean, you now you're kind of, we're going to call it the other side, right? Um, you've stepped over that line of like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Now I get a green card, right? Mm. Um. How has that transition been, right? After having spent most of your life as undocumented and then suddenly finding yourself, right? Quote, unquote, legal permanent resident, right? Um, how has that changed you? Yeah. Um, so I guess for folks who don't know mm -hmm. or haven't seen the documentary, um, I was undocumented for over 20 years and in the process of applying for deferred action for childhood arrivals, my attorney told me I qualified for a U visa. Uh, U visa is a path to citizenship for some folks who survived violence in the United States. Um, reported it, collaborated with law enforcement and all that. So I had a U visa for a few years, and then I qualified for a green card. And I got my green card over a year ago, I want to say. Yeah, over a year ago already. Um, and the transition has been really hard. Um, I think in all aspects of my life, um, I had reached a point in my life where I was like, okay, I'm going to be undocumented forever. Like that's um, something that you thought yeah, you I had was accepted. like, I'm going to be undocumented. Like I see all these senoras being undocumented. They did it. I can do it. Right. And so I was like figuring out my life as undocumented and then it changed. And, um, and I had found a community for being undocumented. Right. Mm. And then. I changed um, and then I traveled back home and that was something that I wanted to do like my whole life, but I thought I was never going to be able to do it. Where is home? Uh, home Colombia, Colombia mm. for sure. Um, and so it was just a lot of transitions this year. This year has been really hard, y'all. So mm. I fundraised to be able to go back and I went back for a month. Um, and I came back and I was fucked up. Like I, like the United States is lonely. I'm gonna start crying yeah. now, but it's lonely here. Mm -hmm. Like I know our parents migrate for a better life and opportunities, but it's like, the things you leave behind and the the sacrifices you make 
um, like no amount of citizenship is ever going to fix the violence and the trauma that's caused by being undocumented. And that was something that it took me a minute to understand. Mm. Um, because, you know, it's, it's ironic, right? Like I started organizing for papers, right? And people would expect, okay, you got them. Like, doesn't that fix everything? And I think like the, the wild thing is when you realize it doesn't. Um, yeah, so for sure it's been, it's been, it's been wild trying to figure out myself you know who i am my role in this movement um and all those things because i could i could imagine that that the idea of a fighting for something so so hard and on a day-to-day basis when you finally get it receive it obtain it it, it, it sort of says like now you have to look at yourself and say yeah what i get right and like there's all what? these, and I I don't know I don't know where this comes from, but there's all these pressures too that like okay now you gotta like overperform because of the excuse quote unquote right mm-hmm. the excuse was you couldn't do all these things because you weren't documented right and now you're not you society America or you start internalizing all this pressure that like oh, oh shit like I gotta I gotta make this worth it right because mm-hmm. like my friends don't have this or my family doesn't mm-hmm. have this. Um, and then there's all this pressure to just like over, over, over excel. You know, um, for me, um, I'm, I also, I got my green card four years ago. Um, I think we remember that. I was just w- one random day. I was just in Canada, <laughs> so I was like out here organizing, and then suddenly, like, I like post something on saying like I'm in Canada, and that's because I had gotten my green card like a month earlier. Um, and I remember when it arrived, like my mom came into my room and she's like laughing. She's so happy. Um, and she's like, I think it's here. And we, I opened it together and I remember I looked at it and I'm like, I literally said all this bullshit for this card. And then the guilt came. It was almost like denial at first. It was like I was expecting ICE to come in and be like, hold up, it's a mistake. Like, we found an error in your application. You're actually, like, not eligible. Like, and I dealt with that for months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was, like, the guilt of, like, seeing my friends who I had organized with, who I cried, like, with when Obama, like, you know, when the, when the, um, the work permit for, like, parents of, like, uh, like U.S. citizens or whatever LPRs um couldn't like obtain any documents like all of that right like crying with my friends and seeing them like not have it mm-hmm. and saying like almost like the sense of like why me like why like why why did I need to have this right why I I know so much so many better people that deserve this right and then going back home and almost it was almost like I was having flashbacks and we don't have these conversations often because it's almost like why should we right like we got what we wanted um but I remember going back to the Dominican Republic after 12 years and it was like you know those novelas where like someone loses their memory and like it just comes flashing back Mm -hmm. and it's like all the scenes from the like the novella that's what I felt like 
it was like scenes of my childhood things that I had like suppressed because I had to distance myself from home in order to survive right just coming back to me just remembering things and then I met with a friend there and we spoke about we were catching up on like all, all I, I migrated when I was eight so we were catching up on like all of our classmates from like first second third grade and in my head I'm like it was almost like I became a ghost like they went on with their lives and they had the childhood that I was supposed to have almost mm. you know what I mean like mm-hmm. family members were like hugging me and I didn't recognize them um I went to visit my dad's family and they're all like hugging me and kissing me and oh my god and you're here and I I, I didn't know who they were um and coming back home and just feeling overwhelmed because I was like I, w- I feel like I was I, I lost a childhood with family yeah that I really wanted to get to know yeah. and I wonder like who would have been had I f- had I stayed right yeah. um and that transition of like where do I land in the movement now right mm. who wh- how do I make space right because as a documentary it was like well U.S. citizens and LPRs need to do this they need to do <laughs> that they need to speak out yeah. like you have to like you know, you have to come out and you have to like come to the rallies and then getting my green card. And then I'm like, so now what? Yeah. You know, what's interesting because <clears throat> I, I actually really like that this that we're speaking about transitions because um, I, I still I'm still undocumented. And so I don't have uh, that same status. It's 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 a little bit different for me. Um, but one of the things that I've transitioned into and and I know exactly when it was um and it was November of 2016 um I just decided that I was no longer going to wait to get permission I was no longer going to wait to to sort of receive the stamp of approval that I was going to live fully and the thing about it is that I started, uh, like, for many, many years, maybe a decade or so, I would put together that freedom um, was connected to legality or to this legal status that mm-hmm. you could be as free as you wanted to be, that you could travel, that you could love, that you could have amazing life with this legal status. And and I decided that I wasn't. I was like, wait, what? Like, who, who convinced me that this was the case? Mm-hmm. Who convinced yeah. me? that I had to travel um, out of the country to to be fully myself. Uh, so in 2016, I decided, and that's really where the name Undocubate came from, which was my renaming myself, my giving myself a different um, attitude about the world to say that I was going to be undocumented like before and after this election. It didn't matter where I was going. Like that was going to be my reality for a really long time. Like it's not going to change anytime soon. So I was like, I'm in my 30s now. So I'm going to live the best life that I can live. With a partner, with my family, connecting to nature, connecting to all of those people around my life to live my stories. Like I I I don't I don't have envy. And this is different. I don't have envy for people who have transitioned into legal status, if you, you know, LPRs or what have you. I have so much joy 
Hmm. Like I share so much joy in this moment to know that you had a chance to go to Colombia and, and, and be in the land that gave you birth, that, that, that gave you your first breath in life, right? That you were able to connect back to that land that like is your motherhood. Um, such a beautiful moment. I wish that for everybody. And Angeli, when I saw like you going even to Jamaica to live your best life, like I was on this side, like living through you because like, what's the point for me mm. to, to feel like I have to wait till that moment to live fruitfully. So instead, like I get my ass in a car and I drive 16 hours to go to Portland. And it was interesting because I had a conversation with with my partner about this as we were driving. He was like, babe, like, talk to me about it again. Like, why can't you fly? And I was like, there's just a lot of legalities. There's a lot of things that I'm not willing to risk. There's a lot of things that I just don't want to put myself mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. a direction of danger or, or possibly a separation. My family already dealt with the separation with the deportation of my oldest brother. Like. I don't need that, yeah. but I can get in a car and, and find my home just with my partner, talking to my mom on the phone, uh, driving, you know, to Portland and, and seeing, you know, an amazing forest and nature. Like, I'm like, I'm going to live my life as fully as I possibly can. And, and there's some people that would send text messages like, yo, why didn't you just fly? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, oh my God, that shit is so fucking far. <laughs> and I was like, even if it is far, I am living yeah. every single mile of this journey. Yeah. Um, and that, that was my transition. Mm. That I, I ain't waiting for nothing. I'm going to live my best unadulterated, undocumented life yeah. today, tomorrow, and the day after. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so one thing, Angie, I guess, um, one last question, right? Um, as an organizer, right? Because you're co-executive of New York State Youth <laughs> Leadership <laughs> Council. <laughs> I was Listen. like, <laughs> drag her, drag her. I was, her. I was out here, uh, like, looking at the, uh, like, the acronym in yes. my head, like, New York State. Um, right. She comes to LA once. <laughs> for, no, but, I, I've ne but that's the thing, though, because even before I came, I just have never been. I performed at our gala. Girl. Yeah, and I still can't. Anyway, she so was on the mic, like, thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> take it back, take it all back. Um, so, right, as, as an organizer, um, how have things changed now that you are, quote unquote, an LPR? Yeah, what girl? It's not quote unquote. <laughs> like, no, girl, I, she is. I'm, She's out here. I meant quote unquote <laughs> as in like it's you know the, like the acronym right. legal permanent yeah, resident. Yeah. I don't, girl, I don't even know. Um, so I think well, I'm not, I'm not coordinating so much of the front of the cameras. Like I used to coordinate some of my rallies, coming out of the shadows, things. I don't do that anymore. Um, I've challenged myself to learn how to raise money for um, issues that impact undocumented folks. That was a new skill for me to try um, and to like get better at. And I've transitioned into training folks mm. to do like if if you want to do media, if you want to learn how to share your story, if you want to all these things. Like I've transitioned yeah. into training, and then I've recently because I've been trying to find. Um, a space or community or folks um, who had adjusted, who were undocumented, mm. 
um because i don't i don't think our movement really knows what to do with you know that aspect yeah. we kind of think like oh y'all are just and that's it um i've tried to put together virtual meetups for formerly undocumented people mm-hmm. um so the second one is in november and that you know the first one it was small it was like 13 of us um 61 people have signed up already that are okay, interested awesome. um and you know folks like that just adjusted like this year mm. folks who had daca for mm-hmm. many years yep. and you know I, st- I started thinking like damn you know there's all this generation of daca folks of undocumented folks mm-hmm. who maybe will adjust i don't know depending on if they're eligible or not and uh there isn't really like you know we don't really know what to do and yeah. our movement doesn't know what to do and it's unfair to put like undocumented undocumented folks to support that yeah. and to figure out the solutions for that and to hold space for folks um so i've just been trying to figure out what that looks like um okay. yeah so trying to do a little bit of everything and f- um yeah and, and trying to learn how to be an ally and guess ally <laughs> 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 i mean I, I think i was already practicing how to be an ally for other issues that didn't impact me and so this i have is a very very just uh direct mm-hmm. question because um we're hearing that you know that is going to be coming up for for hearings at the Supreme Court and yes, all that. Yes, oral arguments. Oh, God. Oral oh. arguments are, are... This might come out around that time. Yeah, so it's, it's coming out, right, that that now they're going to be discussing this at the highest court in the country, the Supreme Court. So what do you... Um, is there an advice? Because here is, if you haven't been able to write and Ask Angie, I am doing that right now. No, Ernesto. Here's my <laughs> typing. Dear Angie, what is your advice... For folks that are still undocumented, have DACA, and are going to now witness uh, what could be a really huge drastic change in, in the current administrative law. Yeah. Um, I think a very wise, beautiful person, Ernesto, once told me um, that you, you can't wait to live your life. And um, I think that that would be it. Like, we can't wait for this country to, like, approve somebody's humanity, um, approve whether or not this person belongs to stay here. Um, I think that there are very real tangible steps we can take now in the event that DACA is taken away um, from figuring out how to open your own LLC, to work as a contractor, to work as a freelancer in the gig economy. Um, Because I know that's a real fear, right? How am I going to make a living without DACA? Um, But I think, so there are tangible steps folks can take um and then there are like more like existential things that uh, we need to figure out and like this country is racist our courts are racist we know that from black americans who have told us so many times right Right. that we can't depend on the courts to say okay you're legit you're valid i see you um so we need to kind of see ourselves and figure that out for ourselves Thank you for that. Thank there you was so a, much. um, I, I I've been the reason why I asked you is because that I've been, um, asked that in my talks recently, mm, and that's so hard. one of the things that like, and this is after hearing my full speech or whatever, and one of the things that that I've I'm kind of getting to a place because they've asked me, does that mean that I'm gonna go back into the shadows? And my response to that is like, your shadow will always be with you. It's now time to embrace it, to have conversations with with your shadow, to say, hey, I see you over there. 
like there's no point of me going back into it but if i am like let's talk let's dialogue and i mean and i mean that with yourself because if a if a shadow is a representation of the things that you uh, have hidden at your most like sort of um precious places the most darkest like darkest places i'm like talk to it what does it want to say to you what does it need from you as a person who has quote unquote stood in the light your shadow is always there don't be afraid of it so it's interesting because in the past i'm like yep i'm going into the shadow going into the closet and it's like wait let's use that imagery and if that's the case let's have a conversation with it yeah. like if you are really afraid of it nurture it talk to it play with it whatever you need to do to connect to the darkest places of of where you come from um, and, and what histories are remain to still be unsolved like just embrace it talk yeah. to it and that doesn't mean hide let, mm. let, let me be clear that doesn't mean hide from from your your realities and and and, and actually be very meticulous about the things and the steps that you just said like you need to take concern of but that means like in an existential way like we have to face ourselves yeah and i think too when we when we think about like uh surviving and who we are and how to deal with these things i have so much admiration and and love and respect for folks who decide they don't want to deal with this anymore yep. and mm. go yeah. back or move or seek asylum somewhere else or go yep. somewhere else and i um, like there's someone on my Instagram right now from Chicago who's going to be going back to Mexico with her daughter and I know Cesar left too to Mexico and oh my god I didn't know that and there's just like you know whatever I don't know I just have so much love for folks and yeah and respect and you know if, if folks need to seek their humanity in, in, in another place then that's okay too um, yeah thank you so much Andre um so one i guess in closing right uh we're having a new segment i feel like now we're just gonna keep saying we're having a new segment um and it's called la palabra right where we close off um our conversation our chats our dialogue with one last word right one last word for folks to look back to one last word for folks to digest to take uh to take with them right after listening to each episode um, so would you do the, do us the incredible honor of sharing your palabra? Yes. So I have two and then all I have to do is just share, right? And not yes. explain or anything. Okay. Um, so this one is from Sandra Cisneros from her book, A House of My Own. Mm, I love that book. You can never have too much sky. You can fall asleep and wake up drunk on sky. And sky can keep you safe when you are sad. Here there is too much sadness and not enough sky. Butterflies too are few and so are flowers and most things that are beautiful. Still we take what we can and get what makes the best of it. And the final one is from uh, Elizabeth Acevedo, The Poet X. Uh, has been mm. like my favorite yes. book this year. Um, yeah, I need to read this book. So this is uh, what stuck with me. I only know that learning to believe in the power of my own words has been the most freeing experience of my life. It has brought me the most light. And isn't that what a poem is? A lantern glowing in the dark. 
Can I share one? Yes. Because it was an Audre Lorde quote that I thought about while we were speaking. I was actually Googling it while we were um, speaking. And she says this. The fact that we are here and that I speak these words is an attempt to break the that to break that silence and bridge some of those differences between us for it is not difference which immobilizes us but silence and there are so many silences to be broken love that mm. there are so many silences that need to be broken yeah i feel something oh coming so i have to share my um One of my favorite um, quotes is by Maya Angelou, who talks about wherever you stand in a place, like you will always bring your ancestors with you. So stand, you stand as one, but you bring your thousands of ancestors, something like that. And speaking of ancestors, I want to do uh, a word, una palabra, to the newest ancestor in my family. Uh, her name is Libertad. Libertad uh, was uh, a baby to be. My brother, who now lives in Mexico, um, their family had um, a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. And when I talked to my brother about, about, about her, um, I asked him what he named her. And he said that the, the name they had given her was Libertad. And I asked him why. And he just said, because libertad is the most beautiful thing there is. Mm. So libertad, liberi, uh, you know, libertad or liberty or liberation actually yeah. uh, is the palabra for me. Libertad will actually be uh, my word for a really, really long time. Okay. Wow. How do we even close this now? Because I'm just like I can't even get hyped now to close. I just we wanna, don't. I just want to linger. <laughs> in this. I just want to linger in this magic. I just want to affirm uh, affirm you, Angie. Thank you so much for for your wisdom, for your energy, for the ancestors that you brought into this room. I know that they're here with you. Thank you for affirming Danjeli and I um, in the work that we've been doing over the last couple of months, and for following and for telling people of, of what we're doing and we're just so honored to have you here with us to share in person i'm so excited to be here thank you so much for making the time and for having me um also just thank you for being patient with me i feel like as a baby organizer <laughs> like i definitely went through those like up and downs and like that mm -hmm. learning and i feel like i'm learning every day right but i was definitely following those narratives of like i can't hear i don't commit any crimes i'm a good immigrant <laughs> right um right we all it, it was like looking um looking at people like um angie that really taught me so much that i'm like okay like i gotta do better i gotta read this i gotta you know improve um the way that i see the world mm -hmm. um and a lot of that just came from just watching you in your glory so thank you so much for being uh, here. I feel like it's full circle mm -hmm. to have you here in mm -hmm. LA because when I told you or when I announced <laughs> that I was moving, huh? she said, "Why would you do that?" Yeah, you know them both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? You're just like, "There's no Dykeman." Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. So thank you so much. 
Um, song. so Andrew, what's next? Do you have any upcoming events? Plug yourself. This is the time. Where do we find the documentary? Yeah. What's up? Okay, okay. So y'all can follow me on social media at Ask Angie. Um, Angie is spelled A N G Y, not I E. <laughs> and um, the film is also available for all things. You could watch it on Vimeo on demand. You could host screenings for free through PBS. Um, you could DM me for details. You can have your own screenings and not even reach out to me. You could do it on your own with your community. Um, and yeah, and if you want to do something else and not do a screening or whatever it is, let me know. Um, and then for folks who um, were undocumented and adjusted, I'm trying to see if this virtual meetup thing is a thing. Mm -hmm. So okay. let me know what you think. Okay, awesome. awesome. And uh, of course. And for you, baby, what's up with you? What's up with well? Can I just say? Can I affirm you? You were out here in Kentucky, looking fierce, looking <laughs> fabulous with that white outfit. You when know, were you I, in had Kentucky, I had to BB? pull with. I had to pull up with looks. <laughs> with okay. looks. Right. Um. No. Yeah. Just been. Uh. I'm gonna manifest. I've been touring. <laughs> oh, so she's on a tour. She's Shut touring. Up. <laughs> I've been literally performing, um, yes. busting my ass, yes. um, writing, but also I've just been trying to finalize this damn chat book. One thing is, <laughs> Andrew's like, we've been waiting. Where's the book? <laughs> um, the book is coming out hopefully Listen, in does December. Have, does it have enough heartbreak poems? That's it is all genre. It is all heartbreak. I'm ready. Oh, you know I'm ready. I'm She's giving us a Rihanna moment where she like she does yes. a poem over here, but the book. Like I'm listening. Yeah. I'm waiting for the we music, Rihanna. Like yeah. Fenty is cute. <laughs> But where is the music? For real, though. So, yeah, so the chapbook should be coming out okay. for December. I am planning on doing my book release in New York. There's okay. um, you think Perfect. I was going to have it in LA? What? I no, would have been what? so hurt. No. Okay. So. Um, definitely um, the week that I that I go to New York. and Have you shared the title with folks yet? The title is Periódicos de Ayer. Yes. Um, because para que leer un periódico de ayer. Yes. Hello. Yesterday's news. We gotta we Dusty. gotta let things go, and I feel like I'm <laughs> I'm letting go of that sad girl that I was when I first started Afro Dominican next day. <laughs> oh man, Jesus. I was just you, you remember? I re I loved it. But there's still a, there's still a place for her. I mean, there's definitely a place yeah. for her. Um, <laughs> she is still living within me. She comes out to play here and there and write a few poems. Right. Um. Okay. But I feel like it's time for me to start um, exploring different parts of my story, different parts of my art and write about culture and write about mm. going back to the DR and write about like mm -hmm. how I grew up and, and bring my mom and my and my sauce to these poems. Sauce. Um, I feel like the heartbreak poems really like got me into a place where I felt confident in writing. Now it's time for me to take that confidence and explore different parts of my story. So Periódicos de Ayer is a lover's archive. Um, for all those lovers who have loved and have lost, and yeah, I'm just coming out say, in December. I'm just gonna say, February would be a good time to <laughs> drop that joint. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Wait, February for Valentine's Hello. Day is hard, uh, break everyone apart. Right, <laughs> truly. You show up with the book, we're like, oh, it's over, baby, it's over. <laughs> well, since you're tooting some horns over here, I also wanted to say I have some really, really great news to share. Uh, actually, I don't. Just to just say that I was so, so lucky to have been um, asked to be the MC at the Presidential Democratic Hello. like Summit here in L.A. So we had all these like Democrat homies coming up here. And I was like, what you got to say? Because the people need to know. So I was really happy to be there in that moment of 
because the way that I was looking at all the candidates on stage was like, okay, you could potentially be the next leader of this country. What you got to say? Yeah. Um, I wasn't super impressed. I mean, obviously we've all heard their stuff, but just in person, I was looking for vibes, energy, connection. <sighs> Disappointing, but still, uh, I was really happy to do that. And I just presented at a national hoteria conference my work uh, along with uh, Dr. Ferrada. From um, Cafe Con Chisme. Hello. Our sister, well, cousin podcast. Yes. Uh, and so we are going to be taking that. I'm looking to actually build up on Mi Primo Marica, which are Memorias of Joteria. So we want to continue to build. So if y'all are interested in hearing that or what have you, yo, book us. Please. Book Dangeli, <laughs> Angie, and myself. Y'all, let's go. Uh, they need to get us paid because I feel like people love the, the sob stories. But where the money at? What, what, what is, what did uh, Yosimar say? Be like, I will cry for you, but that's going to be $500, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I will cry on demand, give you that cross-border story. But Here are the shoes that I keep. <laughs> <laughs> a whole exhibit. <laughs> we got a whole exhibit. Oh my God. Here's my first She's being Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then we want to say a really, really huge thank you to all of our listeners, all the folks that came out to our first brunch and tell baby six months. Six months we've been doing it this. It was incredible. Oh my God. Oh my incredible. God. Just wait. We're here. Just wait for the one year anniversary, baby. It's going to be the bomb. Liddy. Liddy, as of, of course, you can always follow us on Loose Accents, and I am on DocuBay. And I am Danjeli. And you can follow me at Afro Dominican Next Things. I always, I always <laughs> I'm like, always so annoyed because it's such a long ass like IG name, but I feel like now I can't change it anymore because no. it's everywhere. It's no, a, it's, a thing. it's like on my story, so like I mean on my poem, so I just can't anymore. I always, I always hear this like, and I am Afro Dominican Next Things. Boo. But you never say the boo part. Anyway, <laughs> thank you again for listening to this incredible, amazing episode of Lose Accents. Accents.